0: Nutrition. These two chapters are related because the concept of nutrition nutrition relies mainly on the digestive system. Although there are some aspects that we have to discuss, it's not only the nutrients that we take, it depends on many conditions, physiological conditions, and depends on anatomical problems. Or um, diseases that can affect the nutrition, and this is one of the things that nutrition guidelines are stated very clear, and we are told to consume a number and type of nutrients uh, that guarantee our good health condition and This food pyramid that you see here used to be different some years ago because it didn't include the physical activity. Physical activity is a very important aspect that was not stated in the guideline. The guideline used to say just uh, this number uh, of nutrients in related to vegetables, fruits, milk, grains, and uh, that's it. Physical activity was not uh, stated. But now physical activity is an important part of this because of the almost epidemics of obesity that started some years ago. And I'm going to show you some maps to show how it advanced over the years and what uh, we are doing to control, try to control this since very early in life. So all these things have to be in our mind when we study the chapter of nutrition. We're going to basic concepts of metabolism, chemical reactions that are involved, and then we're going to talk specifically about each nutrient, how it enters the metabolism, how we utilize the energy that we consume, and all the nutrients, how they turn into energy or uh, matter for a structure, like the proteins. So first, The concept of metabolism, which has two parts, catabolism and anabolism. Catabolism is breaking down, and anabolism is to build up. These two things happen all the time. When we eat something, we have seen digestion, mechanical digestion, chemical digestion, like a molecule of starch, a polysaccharide. It suffers catabolism when it's degraded by enzymes into disaccharides and then monosaccharides. But then the monosaccharides are absorbed and they go to the liver. And in the liver, we build a long molecule of glycogen. So anabolism. Catabolism and anabolism are happening all the time. And one thing to remember here is that the catabolic reactions they are defined as exergonic reactions. And anabolism are classified as endergonic reactions, which means, in terms of utilization of energy, the catabolism, when the molecules break down, that process releases energy. And that's what we call exergonic. An exergonic chemical reaction is one that releases energy during the reaction. And the anabolism includes chemical reactions that are are endergonic. By definition, a chemical reaction is endergonic when it needs an input of energy so the chemical reaction will happen. In the case of anabolism, in our example, if we have molecules of glucose and we want to build glycogen in the liver, we need energy. We need energy for that. So that's the first thing. Chemical reactions classified in anabolism, catabolism, exergonic reactions, and endergonic reactions. So the metabolism is that balance in between these two. You have a question? So um, catabolism does it need energy? Catabolism, no. Instead, it produces energy. Because breaking down a molecule of starch, a polysaccharide, you break down, and from each chemical bond, Energy is released. That's called an exergonic reaction. So the metabolism is balanced between anabolism and catabolism. And we understand this according to our needs. Let's say if we are kids and we are growing up, we need lots of Energy and lots of matter in terms of proteins. We are building mass, body mass. And so our metabolic needs are higher. We need, to, we need more anabolism than catabolism. Or during pregnancy. It's very commonly said that there's not only one, there are two people that we have to feed. More anabolism. And many times, the um, metabolism of the mother goes into catabolism because since the baby needs more energy, the mother has to provide. And if the mother is not eating properly, well, they start with more catabolism to feed the baby. So, all that is metabolism, to keep the balance, to keep the balance according to our needs, or if we, and here's where physical activity comes in place. We eat, eat, eat every day and usually in excess and we don't do any type of physical activity, we are anabolizing a lot. We have a lot of anabolism, we're building up. Instead, we need some catabolism so we can keep the balance. All this in terms of nutrients. Definition of nutrients or what a nutrient is in general is any substance, food, liquid that will supply the, body, the metabolic needs. Maybe a chemical like a mineral, sodium, potassium, calcium. is something that our body needs. Something that provides energy like glucose, lipids, carbohydrates like glucose we will see these two, lipids and carbohydrates, are they have the characteristics to provide lots of energy. Or substance that repairs damaged cells or to maintain body functions, like to keep the proper level of enzymes. In this case, we talk about proteins, amino acids, so we can make all those proteins that we need. So after many years of observation and study, we know what are the nutrients that we need. And we usually classify this in two things. One is what we call the required nutrients, and the second thing is called recommended nutrients, which are requirements and recommendations are different. Requirements is what we need. Recommendations is what you are uh, advised to take in order to fulfill your requirements. So if I, if I know that your body needs, if your body needs the equivalent to one chocolate bar every day, I'm going to recommend you to eat two chocolate bars a day, just in case. That's how these recommendations and requirements work. Because something may happen and may change the situations and the recommendations are usually a little bit larger than the requirements. ATP comes in place here. ATP, the molecule of ATP, is one of the important mediators of these chemical reactions that involves the energy. Because when we, let's say, we eat polysaccharides, starch, and we break it down into molecules of glucose. We are, in the basic units, the glucose. Now, all those chemical reactions that are happening for breaking down are releasing the energy. And what is that energy going to? That energy will be transferred. It will be transferred into what we call high energy bonds that are present in the molecule of ATP. This is a diagram of the molecule of ATP. The components of the molecule of ATP are adenine, a pentose called ribose, and three phosphates. That's why the name, adenosine triphosphate, or ATP. But in the formation of ATP, there are different stages, because it starts from AMP, adenosine monophosphate. If this molecule binds a phosphate, then we'll have ADP, adenosine diphosphate. And if one more phosphate is brought... the molecule then we'll have the ATP adenosine triphosphate and each of these red chemical bonds are what we call the high energy bonds because the energy that is released let's say you have polysaccharides and you're breaking down into disaccharides energy that is released here will be taken and transferred to this molecule of ATP and that energy will be stored in those chemical bonds. That's the importance of the ATP molecule. It carries energy in those chemical bonds. Why ATP? Because the molecule of ATP can release that quickly and easily. For what? Because there are other chemical reactions that we need. Let's say we are growing up. We, are, we need a lot of proteins. We need to build molecules. We need energy. We'll take it from ATPs. Large amounts of ATPs are in the cells, and more in, in some cells more than others, it, and it's like, like the saving accounts. It's like cash that we have in terms of energy that we spend every second. Especially the muscle. The muscle contains large amounts of energy and has a mechanism to produce more ATPs on the go. As long as they need more ATPs, the muscle will produce more ATPs. This is how the ATP molecule takes the energy. Here in the blue uh, square here, we have complex molecules like glycogen, proteins, triglycerides, and by a catabolic reaction, they break down into molecules of glucose, let's say, glycogen into glucose, and the energy is transferred, transferred to an ADP. The ADP will capture this energy and bind the phosphate, and now we have a molecule of ATP that stores the energy taken from this chemical reaction. And as part of the reaction, there is some heat released because no catabolic reaction is perfect. Some energy will be released as heat. And that's one of the reasons of our body temperature, all the chemical reactions that are happening in our body They release heat, and that increases the temperature of our body, which is controlled by mechanisms that we know already. Now, the simple molecules, if we go in the other way, this is a cycle. If we are building up glycogen, let's say, well, that's anabolism, needs energy. The energy is taken from the ATP molecule. We take that energy from the chemical bond, the phosphate is released and we are in the cycle again. That's how the energy is transferred from chemical reaction, exergonic chemical reaction to ATP and the ATP transfers the energy to an endergonic reaction and we close the cycle and we keep going and going. If we need more energy, well, we'll need more ATPs. If we don't have enough, we start making more. And if we don't need much energy, well, the ATP will transfer that energy into other molecules like triglycerides, fats that we store in our body. So those transfers are in terms of uh, energy that goes from molecule to molecule and uh, from chemical bond to chemical bond. Now, this same idea of transfer, transfer of energy is brought to these reactions that make the glucose be burned, we say it, or broken down and to produce more ATPs. And those reactions are called redox from reduction oxidation or oxidation reduction. In this case, what is transferred is electrons. Electrons are exchanged in the same way. We saw that the energy, one takes the energy and the other one consumes that energy that's been taken. It's always like a cycle. We don't lose uh, the energy. In the redox reaction, what happens is in the oxidation part, electrons are removed from a molecule. In a reduction part, electrons are added to a molecule. This old rig rule, to remember this, means oxidation is loss and reduction is gain. Oxidation is loss of electrons and reduction is gain of electrons. This happens in molecules, intermediate molecules, during some metabolic reactions, like the oxidation of glucose. When we use the glucose to produce, to make ATPs, what we're gonna do is to break down the molecule of glucose. We're gonna break the chemical bonds. And we're gonna take some electrons, some electrons that will be transferred from molecule to molecule these are different types of molecules that we have in the mitochondria and in the cytoplasm and ultimately at the end of the chain of reactions these electrons will be transferred like passed hand by hand until and the last step that energy will be used for production of atps that's how these redox reactions are understood transfer of electrons that at the end It will help to transfer energy that will be useful to make molecules of ATPs. In chemistry, we study redox reactions, and usually it's very (coughs) complex. It's hard to figure out sometimes when is reduction, when is oxidation, who loses, who gains. And sometimes we talk about hydrogens instead of electrons. Well, it's the same thing. If we get to further analysis in chemistry, we'll arrive to this conclusion that when we transfer hydrogen molecules, the hydrogen molecules, they have um, a proton, just a proton, and an electron as part of the molecule. So, in practical terms, in chemistry, sometimes we mostly use the term transfer of hydrogens, and we don't read those reactions in that way. But in biochemistry and physiology, sometimes we exchange the term hydrogens with electrons. Because of the, the chain of reactions that involve the, uh, the metabolism, it's better to understand that when we use the term electrons instead of hydrogens. But the same, at the end of the day, the same thing in practical terms. What are the molecules? I was mentioning that they are intermediate molecules. Well, these molecules are coenzymes, intermediate coenzymes. There are two examples of them here. NAD, nicotin, nic- nicotinamide, adenine dinucleotide, and flavin adenine dinucleotide. NAD and FAD. That's how everybody knows them. NAD and FAD. Those are coenzymes that, their job is to get those electrons and transfer them to the end of the chain of reactions so the energy is used to make ATPs. That's how they work. Like we see in this example, the NAD molecule is here and it will combine with a hydrogen and two electrons coming from this molecule, and now it will turn into NADH by reduction, is gaining a hydrogen and two electrons, and now it's called NADH. And if this NADH later on is going to transfer, is going to lose that hydrogen and the electrons by oxidation, and transfer that energy for production of ATPs. And the NAD and FAD, they are expressed like this positive charge because that's how they end up taking electrons. Uh, And uh, the reactions are reversible. NADH and then They donate the hydrogen, and they they are now, again, NAD, and they are ready to work again. NAD, NADH, like on a cycle. And this is understood in terms of potential energy. If they are getting one hydrogen, they are keeping energy with that. And that's understood as potential energy. They are taking the energy from glucose. We break down the glucose, energy is released, that is taken by these hydrogens, by the NAD and FAD. And they are seen like this, stairs, these steps in the ladder here. ADP will turn into ATP, taking this potential energy. And Each step of this stair represents different molecules transferring the electrons and hydrogens. And at the end, what we have is carbon dioxide plus water and ATPs, that's what we need. And that's what we commonly call oxidation of glucose. That's how the glucose is used to make ATPs. That will be used as energy. And the mechanism is so efficient in the first chapters of 40A, and um, in other bio courses, biochemistry, we go through the detail of how this works with the oxidative phosphorylation, the proton pump inside, and this mechanism is very efficient. We burn glucose and produce lots of ATPs. So let's see some important steps of these uh, reactions, and some of these reactions, starting with the glucose. As part of the carbohydrate metabolism, glucose, is a preferred source of fuel. So when we are, when we need energy, we take them from ATPs that are usually the product of the metabolism of glucose. We have seen this in digestive system, the polysaccharides, disaccharides, the hydrolysis. they turn into monosaccharides, glucose, fructose, and galactose. Glucose is the only one that is utilized. Fructose and galactose, they need to be converted into glucose before they are used. These are absorbed and they reach the liver. The liver will do this job to turn the galactose and fructose to glucose so we have only glucose to be used as fuel. And this is a summary of all those reactions. Glucose, represented by this formula, C6H12O6, in the presence of oxygen, in the presence of oxygen will give place to ATPs, lots of ATPs as products of the metabolism, carbon dioxide and water. This is called cellular respiration. And it happens in four steps that are listed briefly here. First step is glycolysis, which means the glucose is turned into two pyruvic acid molecules. That's a glycolysis, and that stops there. Acetyl-CoA formation is the second step. If there is oxygen, this acetyl-CoA We'll get into the third step, which is the Krebs cycle. And continue to the step four, electron transport chain that will end up in the production of this amount of ATPs per one molecule of glucose, 32, 34 units of ATPs after burning one molecule of glucose. And water, carbon dioxide is also a product of this. So these are the four steps of the cellular respiration. That is how the glucose is used to make molecules of ATP. So let's see some important aspects of these steps. The first step, First step. the glucose is turned into two pyruvic acid molecules. We can call pyruvate or pyruvic acid, either one. And the steps involved here is called glycolysis. Notice that for this to happen, oxygen is not required. Oxygen is not required. And there are many steps here. From this glucose to be turned into pyruvate acid, there are many intermediate steps. Like we see here. See the glucose up here? That's the initial molecule, and the final product, two, three-carbon molecule, pyruvic acid. So this glucose has six carbons, and it's like you split the molecule in two, and you have two, three-carbon molecules of pyruvic acid. That's what the glycolysis is. But there are two intermediate steps. We don't need to remember all these names. Dihydroxyacetone and glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate. What is important to notice is the balance of ATPs, because for this first chemical reaction, two ATPs are utilized. We have to invest two ATPs for this reaction to happen, because it's an endergonic reaction. And then in the second step, when the glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate turns into the pyruvic acid, here, four atps will be made so what is the balance here net balance we make two we consume two we have a balance of two atps in glycolysis and in this side you see two nad molecules that will turn into two nadh these molecules will transfer those electrons for later So if we have a cell that needs ATPs, energy, and there is no oxygen available, this is how they get that energy, by glycolysis. An example, remember the red blood cell? The red blood cell that contains hemoglobin in our blood. What is the hemoglobin for? Transport of oxygen transport of oxygen. The red blood cell transports lots of oxygen, but funny thing that the red blood cell doesn't use any of that oxygen. It just carries the oxygen. It's like a delivery truck with a lot of chocolate cakes and the driver cannot eat any of that. He has to eat their own lunch, having all the chocolate cake in the back. See, the red blood cell carries a lot of oxygen, but the red blood cell cannot use any of that oxygen because they don't have mitochondria. And so the red blood cell only uses glycolysis to produce two ATPs. That's all they need, they're just carrying hemoglobin. They don't they don't duplicate, they don't go into mitosis, they don't make proteins, anything else. They just carry hemoglobin. They just need two ATPs. And for that, they use just glycolysis. So second step is a... Uh, uh, production of acetyl-CoA. But there's an important requirement here. If there is enough oxygen. If there is enough oxygen, acetyl-CoA will be produced and we'll get into the third step. If there is no oxygen available, lactic acid will be produced. Which is a Fermentation product, we call the fermentation. This glycolysis is also called fermentation because many bacteria use this mechanism to get their ATPs, the energy they need. If There's a lot of oxygen, then it proceeds to the next step. And that third step is called the Krebs cycle, which is a series of chemical reactions. This pyruvic acid, acetyl-CoA, they will turn into many intermediates that will get like five or six different molecules, and it will be a cycle. At the end, it will go back to the same thing. With every turn of the cycle, this acetyl CoA will suffer different transformations and different molecules, and here we'll see what are the products of this Krebs cycle. NADH molecules. We have one here, we have another one here, we have another one here, and an FADH2. Those are transporters of electrons that will carry those electrons for later and they will transfer them to uh, other intermediates to produce ATPs. And how many ATPs? Well, one ATP is produced here, just one. But it will not stay there it will continue to the fourth step and the fourth step happens in the mitochondria this fourth step is called electron transport chain because all those electrons that are carried by fad and nad now they will donate those electrons and that energy will be used to produce lots of molecules of atps so there's a lot of electron carriers in the mitochondria and the mitochondria that will help for this purpose and these enzymes these carriers are so efficient so effective that will pick up the electrons will create a gradient a concentration gradient and they will move molecules through a mechanism that will increase the molecules of ATP the numbers of ATPs transferring energy Those electrons are transferred from high energy level to lower energy level. And in that way, in that transition, they will release that energy that we use for production of ATPs. Those proteins, those intermediates, are called cytochromes. Cytochromes of the electron transport chain. And they take all that energy. They help to get that energy, electrons carried by NADH and FADH2, and it will be like living like little balls on the top of the stairs, and the balls keep coming down and down, carrying that energy that is used every, every step for production of ATPs. This is how the, the, the gradient is created, and how these hydrogens, once they are in one side, they will start going through this carrier and during that movement, transfer the energy. And we see here the energy being transferred to molecules of ATPs. So the final event, the last three cytochromes of the chain will pass some electrons to a molecule of oxygen. And that molecule of oxygen will take two hydrogens that are floating in the, in the medium and will make water. That is called metabolic water, which is about 200 milliliters per day. And the oxygen becomes the final electron acceptor because we may think where that electron goes. I mean, those electrons are used, the energy is used for the transfer of electrons. So who's the final acceptor of those electrons? That's oxygen plus hydrogens around. That's how the water is formed at the end of the chain. And that's how we summarize this reaction in glucose plus oxygen, ATPs plus carbon dioxide and water. This is the importance of vitamins, especially the vitamins of the B complex. Coenzyme A which always, which is also used, comes from the pantothenic acid, which is the vitamin B5. Riboflavin and niacin, which are the vitamins B2 and B3, they are components of the NAD and FAD. So that's how the vitamins are important. We make sure that we have these molecules all the time. Carbon dioxide comes as a product of all these intermediate molecules of the glucose and finally we end up with carbon dioxide and water, which is called metabolic water. So let's summarize this. If we have one molecule of glucose, the balanced number of ATPs that are produced if oxygen is present, will be about from 36 to 38 molecules of ATPs. It depends on the tissue that we are working, muscle, brain, or other other tissue. One glucose providing this amount of ATPs compared with the amount of ATPs that we get from glycolysis, this is a very efficient mechanism because of the presence of oxygen. Four ATPs will come from the Krebs cycle and glycolysis, but the rest, 32, 34, will come from the last step, which is called oxidative phosphorylation, happening in the mitochondria, all that mechanism of hydrogens, electrons, uh, that we just saw. So where this happens in terms of place, glycolysis happens in the cytoplasm of the cell. Krebs cycle and the oxidative phosphorylation, the electron transport chain, they happen in mitochondria. So that's why the red blood cells, since they don't have mitochondria, they cannot do this part. They just rely on glycolysis. They don't have a nucleus, they don't have mitochondria. Everything happens in the cytoplasm only, only glycolysis. It has a whole picture that we saw at the beginning and it's amplified here with the four steps. Glycolysis, acetyl-CoA, Krebs cycle, and finally the electron transport chain. To guarantee a very efficient mechanism of production of ATPs. But now, what we do with the glucose, if we don't burn it, we don't use it, we don't make ATPs, we don't need it right now, we need to keep those molecules of glucose. We store those glucose molecules and we produce, we form a molecule of glycogen. Many glucose units will get together into a molecule of glycogen. That happens in the liver, in the liver. This is called glycogenesis, glycogenesis. Where is the glycogen? Two main places, the liver cells and in the muscle fibers. Because those are the places where we need it most. The liver is active all the time and it needs lots of ATP for those activities. The muscles are working all the time. They need to have glycogen in their cytoplasm. So when we consume lots of glucose, we use some for our energy, for our needs, but then the rest, the excess, it will be stored as glycogen in the liver and in the muscle. And those reserves usually don't deplete. Unless we don't eat, like fasting, or we exercise extremely, we use most of the glycogen but then we need to replenish those deposits of glycogen. If we need glucose and we are not eating, we are not consuming glucose, we we have glycogen in the liver and our muscle cells, so we're gonna use those. We're gonna use those reserves of glycogen. And we start breaking down molecules of glycogen, that is called glycogenolysis. And we break down this molecule and release the units of glucose to the blood. And in the blood, it's like, it's like we, were, we are eating more glucose. So just break down and release it to the blood and the cells of our body will take it. Here we have the, um, the mechanisms or the reactions involved. This yellow is a liver cell or hepatocyte. We have the glycogen inside the cytoplasm of the hepatocyte and it will turn, it will break down into glucose 1-phosphate, glucose 6-phosphate, and then into glucose and be released to the circulation. And blue is the glycogenolysis, the red is glycogenesis. So the glucose from the blood is stored as glycogen. Glycogenesis and glycogenolysis are two opposite mechanisms uh, for the balance of glucose in the blood. And there's another one, another term. This is called gluconeogenesis. Gluconeogenesis is the production of new glucose. New glucose is starting from fats or even proteins. So we can say glycoge- gly- gluconeogenesis is the formation of glucose from non-carbohydrate sources. And what are those? Lipids, proteins. Gluconeogenesis happens all the time, but at a very low scale. It happens a lot when we are starving, during fasting or starving, or we, when we eat a very low carbohydrate diet. And when we take uh, what molecule we use to produce uh, glucose more, fats. The fats that we have stored in our body, triglycerides, in the subcutaneous tissue, adipose tissue. So when we don't eat, we are not consuming glucose. Glycogen is broken down, so the brain uses glucose. The brain uses just glucose. There's no other molecule for the brain. And then, when we deplete our reserves of glycogen, we still need more glucose. So, we start taking the triglycerides, the fats from our body. And by gluconeogenesis, we produce glucose molecules to feed our cells. Other molecules may be used for gluconeogenesis lactic acid, even amino acids can be used. For production of glucose that's what we see uh, uh, when we have a patients of uh, with chronic diseases especially cancer terminal cancer for instance and we see how they lose weight terribly in one month they lose 20 30 pounds and why because if someone has cancer the cancer cells what they do is divide divide and grow and grow and grow High metabolism. That's a high metabolic need, and we start losing weight because that high metabolism will take the fat and will turn it to glucose. And usually, sometimes depends on the cancer, the type of cancer, the patient is not able to eat properly. They're not able to swallow and things. Nausea, vomiting, and um, the intake is not is not good. And what happens when all the fat is used? The proteins are start to be broken down. So actually they start consuming, and you can see the patients with terminal cancer, they look so thin that even the muscles reduce in size. Because they start eating their own muscle, I mean the proteins from the muscle, they turn into glucose. So the glucose can be used for the metabolic needs. And at the end, it's the balance what it counts. Metabolism is the balance. We need more, we take it from our fat, from our muscle. And you know, you see that not only in cancer, you see in extreme starvation, people that don't eat for many, many days or very extreme conditions and survive. they, They start consuming their own muscles for glucose. The lipids, other the second molecule, the second type of molecule where we take energy from, um, triglycerides, properly called. Other lipids we have described on in 48, like steroids, fat soluble vit- vitamins, A, D, E, and K, uh, phospholipids. But the triglycerides are the ones that we use for energy. And that's what we have in the adipose tissue Lots of triglycerides. Triglycerides, as the name says, triglycerol, contains three fatty acids and one glycerol, one molecule of glycerol. We have saturated, unsaturated. The saturated term means saturated of hydrogens. Unsaturated means that they have less hydrogens because they have double or triple covalent bonds. And usually they, that makes the molecule be bent a little bit and turn into um, unsaturated uh, fatty acid. Triglycerides are nonpolar; that means hydrophobic. So they have to be made water soluble to be able to combine, and that's why they combine with proteins, lipoproteins, which are produced in the liver. They are transported in the blood by these lipoproteins. The lipoproteins make the the triglycerides uh, soluble in water, so they can be transported in the plasma without any problem. Lipoproteins are of different types, and they have different amount of cholesterol and protein in their composition. This is a molecule of a lipoprotein, which makes the triglyceride in the center, in the nucleus of this lipoprotein, that's where the triglyceride is transported. And it's covered by all these uh, components, which are uh, polar, so they can be soluble in water. That's how these lipoproteins transport the uh, triglycerides. And they contain different amounts of cholesterol in their composition and uh, that's why we measure the different types of lipoproteins and we call them HDL, VLDL, LDL. We say good cholesterol, bad cholesterol because these lipoproteins, depending on the amount of fat that we transport in the plasma, they will have different characteristics. So how we use the lipids by lipolysis, lipolysis, we break down the molecules of triglycerides. And that will end up in production of glucose. Here in this graph, we have the triglyceride and this, and this side, the triglyceride, which is broken down in, ter- in the components, glycerol and fatty acids. Look what happens with the glycerol. The glycerol will enter here and it will make pyruvic acid. Pyruvic acid will enter into acetyl-CoA and Krebs cycle, and in that way, it will provide it will provide um, a reagent for production of ATPs. The fatty acids, the fatty acids can also enter and turn into acetyl-CoA and enter the Krebs cycle, and we end up producing ATPs from triglyceride molecules. And notice in this side also certain amino acids because some amino acids can be broken down and it turn into acetyl-CoA enter the Krebs cycle to produce more ATPs. That's the way that we use triglycerides fats and even proteins for uh, production of ATPs. Lipolysis happens and that's how we call when we break down this molecule of fat three fatty acids and glycerol and that process is called beta oxidation. The big molecule is broken in two carbon fragments and they join to coenzyme A. The coenzyme A will enter into the Krebs cycle. That's called beta oxidation. That's how the lipids are broken down and they enter into the Krebs cycle for more production of ATPs. But nothing is perfect because if that's not the ideal situation. We're not eating, we need to break down uh, fat. We actually need glucose, but we don't have it. But we survive. We survive burning our fat. As a consequence of utilization of triglycerides, we will produce these substances called ketones or ketone bodies, which are acids. Well, these are eliminated by the kidneys because they are toxic. And um, that's one of the things that we detect, like people that, for instance, sometimes we see people in going into um, a strike, and hunger strike, they don't eat anything. How many days? Seven days sometimes, 10 days without eating anything, just water. And what's happening? Well, they are not using, well, they are using triglycerides. They're not eating, they they don't have glucose, they use all the glycogen probably, and now they're burning just fat. And we make urine analysis, and we'll find ketone bodies, and that's a sign that they are not cheating, they are actually in hunger strike, they are not eating anything. But if we don't find ketone bodies, that, that is suspicious, they are not, probably they are hiding their food. But that's how we know, and that's a way to control that they don't get toxic. And that sometimes happens At some point, they have to be helped and they have to stop it because otherwise you will kill yourself. And uh, that's called ketogenesis. That happens when we are not eating, burning triglycerides in extreme situations that gets to toxicity. And since they are acids, that will give a series of problems in other systems. When we fast, like 24 hours, and sometimes... Not only 24 hours, but four or six hours, or eight hours of fasting. And you can tell when you don't have anything to eat in the morning and you go to work to study and you, read, you don't eat anything, by noon you have a headache. And the headache is because the accumulation of ketone bodies in your blood. Because ketone bodies are toxic. Um, you eat glucose, your balance is restored, and the kidney will take care of all of the ketone bodies and you feel better after one hour or two. But this may get worse and affect other systems and uh, produce toxicity. That will lead to acidosis, changes in the respiratory pattern, um, intoxication, loss of consciousness, and other, other things that may be worse. Okay, that's, uh, that's the last one. Let's stop it here. Any questions, comment? Okay, I'll be waiting at 6. We're gonna start at 6 with a lab examination.